everyone and welcome to Siesta Sundays with Sasha, a place where everything Christian is discussed. So if you had a question and you thought, well, I think I'm the only one who's feeling this, or you were too embarrassed to ask something out loud, this is the place to be. Every week, we will be answering one very complex, very simple question. What does the Bible say about, well, you can fill in the gap. <laughs> Join me every Sunday and we will break these questions down together and hopefully leave with some sort of answer. I and sometimes my guests are here to say same bro same with regards to anything that you think you were the only one experiencing it. Grab your earphones, a cup of coffee or tea, whatever you're drinking today and let's go on this journey together. So I find it really hard that there's anything that we're experiencing or anything that's happening that hasn't taken place in the Bible in one way or the other. You know, the saying, there's nothing new under the sun. I honestly don't believe there's anything new <laughs> under the sun. And so how our episode is going to work is I'm going to bring something up, right? A topic or subject. Um, we're going to talk about it, ask questions about it, etc. And then bring the Bible into the picture. And then we're going to try and break down what the Bible means when it talks about or addresses some of these issues. Right? So that you know everyone feels comfortable. And so when you make your decisions, you make them from a perspective of, you know, you know what the Bible says about it. I mean that's kind of what we're here to do, right? Live our lives, be happy, get excited, do awesome things, but still make God happy, right? And then at the end of the episode, we're then gonna not necessarily come to a conclusion because I'm not a preacher, but like I'm just gonna hope that each of us has been enriched in one way or the other. And after that, I'm gonna give you a little Bible verse that maybe is special to me. Well, special to more than just just me obviously because bibles for everyone but one that i feel like giving to you and then i'm going to give you a song to listen to because i love gospel music and that will be the end so when we get started today's episode's question is what does the bible say about the pharisees and the sadducees the Pharisees and the Sadducees were significant in the lives of the Jewish people. They were religious leaders of the Jewish people, but they were not priests. They had a sway influence and power over the people's religious lives, finances, work habits, and family life. They were experts in the law, that is, the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament today. They were experts in what it meant to interpret the laws of the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments say that the people should not work on Sabbath. People had questions of what the word work means. They give the interpretation. People looked to them for guidance on how they should understand the law. People wanted to know how to please God. They trusted the Pharisees and the Sadducees with giving them this information. The Pharisees believed in the supernatural, that is the angels, demons, heaven and hell. They were invested in the religious aspects of religion. They took the words of the Old Testament literally. They believed in the angels and demons. They were invested in the promise of an afterlife, closely connected to the common people. They were business owners and merchants who had made enough money to turn heads a little. They were new money. They had a lot of power because of their influence of, over people. The Sadducees 
did not entertain the idea of resurrection from the grave after death. They denied the existence of the afterlife, meaning they did not leave room for the eternal blessing or eternal punishment. They believed that once people died, there would be nothing for them after that. They also mocked the existence of spiritual beings like angels and demons. They were aristocratic. Aristocratic. I don't know how to pronounce that. They were aristocratic. Uh, they came from the families of noble of noble birth who were very uh, well connected in the political landscape of their day. Today, we would call them old money. They were well connected and had a lot of influence with the ruling authorities among the Roman government. They had a lot of political power. They had a lot because of their influence in Rome. This influence was enough for them to come together to a fight a common threat. Jesus Christ, despite their so to summarize, a Pharisee was a member of a popular religious or political party in the New Testament times, characterized by strict adherence to the law of Moses and also to extra-biblical Jewish traditions. The Pharisees were frequently criticized by Jesus for their legalistic and hypocritical practices. The Apostle Paul was a zealous Pharisee prior to his conversion. The Sadducees were members of a religious or political party during Jesus' time, characterized by rejection of any Old Testament writings except the five books of Moses, rejection of belief in the resurrection and in angels and demons, an interest in Hellenistic beliefs and ways of life, and affluence as a result of their influential priestly positions. Jesus criticized the Sadducees for refusing to believe in the resurrection and for demanding a sign from heaven to confirm his authority. So as you can see, these people were extremes of each other in one way or the other. They had things in common, but a lot of their beliefs were not, they didn't merge. They, there was sort of very little ground for them to stand on together. However, they did find middle ground when it came to Jesus. They used their influence with the people to, you know, fire up the crowd and incite hate in these people who then encouraged Pilate to make the decision to crucify Jesus. And they also used the power that they had in Rome to influence the leaders to arrest Jesus. So it was kind of the perfect plan if you think about it. One group has pull with the people, the other group has pull with the leaders. They come together with one collective interest which is to crucify Jesus and kill him for the so-called crimes that he had committed. Religion is understood to influence subjective well-being through various ways. The religious community gives people a sense of belonging and provides an important source of social impact, social support. Religion gives people's lives meaning and purpose. And finally, religion encourages people to lead healthier lifestyles. So, from my understanding, religion is a form of fellowship. It's coming together as people who all believe in God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and talking about our journeys and helping each other navigate these journeys. You will find people who've gone through things you've gone through, people who've gone through things that you are going through, people who are probably going through things that you've never seen before, and you're just coming together to give thanks to the Lord that gives us life, and to also discuss how maybe they went through what you're going through so you can help each other stay strong throughout this journey. Because this journey isn't easy as people and 
acknowledging your shared love for Christ, your shared love for the heart of Christ, the heart of Jesus, and connecting in that shared love to help each other become the best versions of yourselves you can be. And the version that you're trying to become the best of is your Christianity. This is through the preachings that are preached by the pastors. This is through the connect groups that you have, the worship sessions, the meetings, joining volunteer groups or joining different service groups in the church. It is in reading the Bible together, studying. That's all religion. The law is a system of rules which a particular country or community recognizes as regulating the actions of its members and which it may enforce by imposition of penalties. So we can see that the law is something that controls people. It kind of makes people fall in line and regulates the way that people behave. And the law in Christianity is found in the Ten Commandments, in the Mosaic Law, in the words of the prophets, in what Jesus said. That's, those are all sources of the law that Christians follow. However, Jesus brings a human element that didn't exist before to this law. So before Jesus came, the law was very stringent. The law was very straightforward, minus exceptions, and very, very exclusive. However, Jesus says, no, but God doesn't expect you to be perfect. God knows you're going to do wrong. This is why I'm here, right? In church today, the pastor talked about how in the story of Moses and the Passover, people were encouraged to hide under the blood of the lamb by marking the doors of the blood of the lamb to, pr to get protection from everything that was happening around them, the destruction that was taking place around them. But even then, people still knew that they were going to sin. So after a regular amount of time, people were required to sacrifice, a blood sacrifice of an animal to God, to continue to ask for that protection. Jesus' coming was a reflection of us not needing to continue to do that because he made the ultimate sacrifice so that we wouldn't need to do it anymore. And so this is because Jesus and God are aware of the fact that we're sinners. And so Jesus is paying the price for us and saying to us, it's okay. You're trying your best. You're going to fall short. I have paid the price. Just continue to keep trying hard. That's what I got from church anyway. And so this is also reflected in the temple and how it was destroyed. That it wasn't the temple itself physically that was destroyed by Jesus' death. It was the barrier that prevented people from speaking to God directly that was destroyed. Jesus' death enabled us to speak to God directly. Because everything that happened, all the laws that were given to the people in the Old Testament, were still valid. They were 100% valid. However, Jesus just added the human element. That's it. You don't need to be persecuted for committing these crimes because you're only human. Just come to me, though, so that I can continue to guide you, so I can protect you, so I can speak to you and try to ensure that you don't do it as often. And so the law is present, but it's not there to restrict us, to make our lives harder. It's supposed to guide us towards where God wants us to be. I think that made a lot of sense. The law doesn't exist to make our lives harder. It's there to guide us 
towards Jesus. However, Jesus conflicted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they didn't agree with that philosophy. They believed that the law was there and it was the only thing that could guide you to Jesus. And you had to follow it word for word if you wanted to get to God. Sorry, not Jesus, God, because they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And God is like, and Jesus is like, no, that's not it though. That isn't it though. And that's why they killed him. Because they were threatened by his application of the law. Because that's what they focused on. And that's what we're talking about today. Legalism. What is legalism? Legalism can be described as a strict adherence or the principle of a strict adherence to law, especially to the letter rather than the spirit. That is what the Mosaic Law was all about. God gave the Ten Commandments, but the Mosaic Law was specifically for Israel and doesn't apply to believers today because we are not under the Old Covenant. We are under the New and Better Covenant. Because Jesus' atoning work freed us from the law, we are not standing as condemned by the law. What the law could not do, Jesus did. Consider the Sabbath laws which restricted the following activities on Sabbath. But many of these were added by religious leaders by their own traditions. People weren't allowed to sow, plow, reap, bind, sheaves, thresh, winnow, grind, sift, knead, bake, shear wool, wash wool, beat wool, tie shoes, untie shoes, sew, sew two stitches, tear, like open a letter, salt meat, write two letters, erase two letters, and many more things that they added to what they thought God meant when he said rest. But then Jesus came and said, but that's not it. The law isn't supposed to make your life hard. The law isn't supposed to make your life difficult. The law is supposed to be a guide. The principles on which you live. The things on which you base your beliefs in. You know? God says, love the Lord your God. Love others. These are the most important commandments because they enable you to follow the law. And the laws that I know about that are official and that God and Jesus enforce, reinforce, are the Ten Commandments. And the reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees conflicted with Jesus was because the way that they interpreted these Ten Commandments and came up with the other religious rules that they came up with were that they removed the human element from it. They made it impossible for people to follow. They had strict fastings and compulsory rituals that people had to follow. And so the law is there. Jesus says he's here to enforce it. But there's a danger that comes with following it too strictly. You lose sight of what's right in front of you. And the best example is the Pharisee and the Sadducees. I always laugh at this fact. These people had Jesus right in front of them. They spoke to him. They interacted with him. They actually condemned him. They argued with him. But they had the Messiah right in front of them and they didn't use it to their advantage. I mean, other people did. They went and they got healing. They got, they got saved. They got baptized. They used the fact that Jesus was there to find the salvation that they needed, to find the guidance that they needed, the healing that they needed, the protection that they were looking for. And these people completely, they, they missed it because they were too busy being legalistic. And that's what the Bible says about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that we focus so much on the words of the law. We focus so much on 
What are you wearing? What does your hair look like? Do you have piercings? Do you have tattoos? Do you have, I don't know, what kind of lifestyle are you living? What are you eating? What are you drinking? But you're losing sight of the fact that that's not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking at your heart. He's looking at the way that you treat people. He's looking at the way that you talk to God and you communicate with him. I mean, those are the basic principles of Christianity. The relationships that you have, are you treating people well? Are they treating you well? Even when they don't, are you still treating them well? Are you praying? Are you praising? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love God? Are you following the Ten Commandments through all of this love that you're supposed to have? Because love for God enables you to follow the first three commandments. Love for people enables you to follow the other seven. Are you doing that? Or are you missing the point? Why did Israel's leaders reject Jesus? When the long-awaited Messiah arrived, one might have expected Israel's religious leaders and scholars to have welcomed him. Instead, they rejected him because his message about God's kingdom cut across their expectations. The Pharisees rejected him because his view of the Jewish law was different. Aware that disobedience had led Israel into exile, they believed that meticulous obedience to the law was now required, insisting on keeping the law the law's many oral traditions, e.g. ritual washings, obligatory fasting, and rules for keeping the Sabbath. These brought them into conflict with Jesus, who had no time for these human rules, declaring they undermined the heart of what God intended. The teachers of religious law had created those oral traditions as they had sought to interpret and apply the law during the exile. By Jesus' day, these interpretations were seen as important as the law itself. They rejected Jesus because he claimed they had let go of God's commands in favor of human traditions. The Sadducees rejected Jesus for different reasons. Although they had theological differences, their main concerns were political. They had become influential in Jerusalem, controlling the temple and the high priesthood, and were afraid that Jesus might upset the political balance which would lead to them losing influence if Rome clamped down. Matthew chapter 22 says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, We know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. They handed him a Roman coin. He asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. The same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second one also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. 
For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be resurrection from the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The Pharisees and the Sadducees questioned Jesus' authority three times in this account. Paying tax to Caesar was done by the Pharisees. Why? They had influence over people. There were people who valued paying taxes and were supporters of Rome. And there were people who didn't care a lot for the payment of taxes. If Jesus had said paying tax was important, he would have lost following with people who didn't want to pay taxes. If he had said that paying taxes was not important, he would have lost following with people who supported Rome. And those people would have told the Sadducees who would have told Rome that there's a person who's telling people not to pay taxes and Jesus would have been arrested. So this was a double-edged sword. So Jesus refrained from answering and instead discredited the question completely. The second account is very similar. If he had answered this question in support of either side, which is why he refrained from answering it. The third one is the most important commandment. Jesus was asked this question because choosing one commandment would have also gotten him into trouble. These people were the interpreters of the law. He would have lost following from people who trusted them because they looked up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees for the interpretation of the word. And so Jesus picking one important commandment was also a very tricky situation that they were trying to place him in. And so he didn't answer. And all of this was because they were trying to question his authority. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what authority do you have to do these things? They didn't know that Jesus was the authority. They asked him for signs. They questioned him. But it was right in front of them. Because they were focusing so much on what was written, they missed what was right in front of them. Their interpretation was what they relied on. And in this case, the interpretation was incorrect. Because had they read the Bible well, had they known what they were supposed to look for, had they focused on what they were supposed to be looking for, they would have realized that everything that they were trying to find in the Word was right in front of them, in the flesh. And that is very interesting. And that is the danger of being legalistic. You focus so much on what is written that you lose sight of what's right in front of you. You lose sight of the people. Or you might find it when it's too late. The purpose of the law has never been to make people's lives difficult. The purpose of the law has been to guide you so that you stay on the road. But it's not the road itself. The law are like the road signs. The law is the stop sign and the give way sign and the, the traffic lights. But Jesus, he is the directions. 
that you're looking at on your maps <laughs> and the principles that he teaches you well that's the road itself and so and obviously the destination is god and jesus so i mean people do follow the law but sometimes they don't i mean some people miss the stop sign because there's no one around to stop for does it, that doesn't mean that they're not continuing with their journey some people will go through an orange light some people will go through a red light some people will go through green light others will not give way <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're no longer on your journey you're still on the journey you're still using the directions and you still know where you're trying to go i don't know if that makes any sense but it makes sense in my head and that's what i think the purpose of the law is hebrews 10 chapter 1 says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves i think that sums it all up jesus is that reality and this is why jesus has no need to offer sacrifices daily or you know atone for his sins since he did it once and for all for us when he offered up himself when he died there was forgiveness and so there was no longer any need for offering for sin this is all in hebrews chapter 10 or and hebrews chapter 20 chapter 7 it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins after jesus took away the sins himself because he didn't enter by means of blood of goats and cows he entered but the most holy place for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption hebrews 2 chapter 9 <laughs> Jesus's blood is more powerful than any sacrifice that has ever been made because it did it for us once and once was enough. Now, would that have been possible if following the law was so easy? No, it's hard. And that's why the human element is present. That's why Jesus came and said, add a little compassion to that recipe, add a little love, add a little peace, you know, to make it all good. Adding all those components the human element, the fruits of the spirit. That is what makes being Christian wholesome. And religion isn't supposed to be so focused on the law. It's not supposed to be so focused on the rules because then that makes it too difficult for you to reach God. It brings shame because now you feel you're not enough. It brings, it brings pride because you think you don't deserve all the good things when you do something bad. But that's not what it's supposed to do, though, because even in your sin, you're supposed to still face God and not be ashamed. I mean, you should feel bad, but when you feel ashamed, you don't face reality. And reality is pray. You're going to be too scared to pray. You won't know what to say. You won't know how to feel. When you get blessings, you feel like you don't deserve them. When you need something, you won't feel like you deserve to ask for those things. Because the human element doesn't exist when you're being too legalistic. It is completely aloof. But if you add the human element, you add a little love, you add a little compassion, you know, everything, gentleness, faithfulness, you know, you become more open to understanding the fact that your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Relationship with the Holy Spirit has no conditions. The law, if followed word for word, minus all those things, has conditions. Because there's the issue of punishment. The law makes it very difficult to understand that the love is unconditional. To understand that the love, the relationship between you and God is unlimited. 
if you use it the wrong way, of course, because the law is a guide. I keep saying it. They are guiding principles, right? They are what help you get to where you need to go. They are not where you need to go. And losing sight of that will make you lose sight of what's, what's right in front of you, the relationships you could build, the relationships that you could enrich, the relationships that you could create with people, with God, with yourself, with your faith. Because then if you add that human element, it's easy for you to have hope. It's easy for you to find salvation because you have understood that you can't work alone. If you focus on the law, you can't focus on Jesus. There's no room for it. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't have room for Jesus because being too legalistic and being too focused on what is written and not what's outside means you don't have space for Jesus because Jesus brings that element of get out of your head and actually see what's right in front of you, you know? And the funny thing is the Pharisees and the Sadducees claimed Jesus was abolishing the law of Moses, that he was telling them to stop following it. That's not what he did. That's not what he did at all. My Bible says that Jesus quoted the Old Testament in everything that he did. Here's the quote. Jesus' use of the Old Testament. Luke 20 is a good example of Jesus quoting the Old Testament. Three times in this chapter, Jesus quotes it explicitly, and he alludes to its imagery of the vineyard in his parable of the evil farmers. First is Jesus' reference to the theme of the cornerstone. This comes from Psalm 118 verse 22, where God describes a stone, likely referring to Israel, that has been rejected by the people of influence builders. God made this stone the cornerstone that holds the walls of the building together. As the influential leaders of Jesus' day rejected Jesus, so God has established Jesus as the foundation of his plan. Second, replying to a question from the anti-supernatural Sadducees who wanted to poke holes in Jesus' teaching about resurrection, Jesus quotes from God's encounter with Moses to point out that God is the God of the living and that includes the patriarchs. The third statement is drawn from Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus' quotation points to his exalted status as Messiah, Son of David, and Lord. All these examples show how much Jesus valued the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, so should we. Jesus' attitude to the Old Testament. For Jesus, our Old Testament was his only scriptures. Jesus loved God's word and allowed it to guide his life. He read it, quoted it in his teaching, directed his opponents to it, referred to its stories, accepted its characters as historical, quoted from it to settle arguments, interpreted events in light of it, used it to resist Satan, prophesied from it, and knew his death and resurrection was in fulfillment of it. In fact, it is impossible to fully understand Jesus' teaching without understanding the Old Testament. Jesus never criticized, contradicted, or explained away the Old Testament, which he said had abiding validity. 
He was certainly not embarrassed by any part of it, nor felt a need to apologize for it, as some Christians feel obliged to do today. We therefore cannot dismiss the Old Testament, although we have to interpret all that it says in the light of Christ's coming, to which it pointed and for which it prepared. This is proof that when Jesus was preaching in Matthew chapter 5 and he said, I came to fulfill the law, he wasn't lying because Jesus doesn't lie. He came to ensure that the way that we followed it was the way that God wanted. I mean, who are you going to listen to? The people who tell you that sowing two stitches is a sin. <laughs> or the person who tells you if you're hungry, go and grab that corn out of the field and make it so your family can eat. Who are you going to believe? The person who went and healed someone who needed it. Or the people who said it could have waited till tomorrow. I mean, obviously it's going to be Jesus. I mean, he's the one who did this stuff. They just thought that whatever it is they were reading and the way that they understood it as people who can make mistakes was even more perfect than what was out there in the world because they had their faces in a book and the scrolls that other human beings had written. But the person who inspired some of those writings, or all of those writings, was right in front of them, and they didn't see it. It's quite amazing how ignorance works. How arrogance works. Because you lose sight of everything else because you think you're the only one who can have the right answer. And that's why they had so much influence. Because human beings didn't have a direct relationship with God, a direct relationship with Jesus. So they looked to other people to tell them how to build that relationship. And that's why Jesus came. He said, stop looking to other people. Stop looking to the sacrifices that you're making. Stop looking to other things. Look to God. Look to Jesus. Pray to me. Pray through me. Go to God. Talk to him. Tell him what you want. He will speak to you. And that's why you should read your Bible. I mean, if you listen to this podcast and think, okay, now I know the Bible, then that's a big mistake. If you go to church only and hear what the pastor has to say and never open your Bible, you're going to lose sight of everything because you're looking to other people to tell you what God wants to tell you. He's not going to communicate to you the way he communicates with me and the way he communicates to the pastors at my church. He communicates to everyone in different ways because he wants us to do different things. We don't have the same commission. And so that's what Jesus was trying to tell us. That the law, that's not really what you have to follow solely anyway. It's a guide, but I'm who you need to follow. And Jesus, well, you will find him in the scriptures. And in prayer, and in praise, and in worship. I think that made sense. Another thing that you need to understand is that the law wasn't supposed to protect you from sin. I'm going to put the quote right after this. It was supposed to show you how bad things can get if you don't stop sinning, basically. So it was a reflection of what could happen later. It wasn't supposed to, like I said, it's not supposed to make your life hard. It's just supposed to be a guide. And so when you were punished for not following the law, it was just a reflection of what, what could happen if you didn't follow the law. If you didn't stop, you know, on your way to Jesus Christ. If you didn't stop, we say stop. Or if you didn't stop at a red light. Or if you didn't go when you were supposed to go. Then there would be a problem. I mean, if you didn't follow one of the Ten Commandments, what do you think God would do? If you didn't read your Bible 
you didn't have a relationship with God and how, you know, those things. The letter and spirit of the law. Paul teaches that the purpose of the law of Moses was not to save us from sin, but to expose sin's power. The law shows us that we are unable to live according to its high moral standards and so reveals the futility of trying to earn salvation by our own efforts. The law of Moses helps us to understand we receive salvation only by God's grace alone. When we come to faith in Christ, God releases us from the law's control and gives us new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As followers of Christ, we grow in our discipleship not by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit, by allowing our lives to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. When we live in the power of the Spirit, God begins His work of transformation in our lives, and we start to produce the Spirit's fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Such fruit is produced as the natural outworking of a life that is in harmony with God's spirit. To reiterate, religion has three components. It is a coherent and comprehensive worldview. It gives you insight on other people's experience. And it helps you read arguments and counter them. That's what religion is all about. Talking about it, coming together and discussing it. The Pharisees wanted to maintain the status quo because they were very powerful in society. They were followed because they were holy followers of religious laws. They believed in the literal obedience of the laws, to the law, sorry, of Moses. They weren't receptive to the compassionate teachings of Jesus. They believed, and people believed, that they were chosen by God. And so when Jesus came along and claimed to be God, <laughs> they were like, uh-uh, that's not what I read, <laughs> you know? And so they believed that anyone against them was against God. And so they killed God. All with the desire to maintain the status quo. And a lot of this is seen, I'm not going to read it, in Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. They questioned Jesus. They tested Jesus. They tried so hard. And because of that, they weren't really being religious. They were being legalistic. They weren't coming together to understand Christ. They were coming together to criticize him because they were following so much of the law. I would like to go out on a whim here and say that they were they worshipped the law. They idolized it. And that's why they managed to kill Jesus. Because they didn't even know who he was. They didn't believe who he was because they believed that God was found in the scriptures. And I guess to some extent that would have been correct had they taken what they were reading and applied it correctly. But they didn't. They used it to find power within society. They used it to find their place in society to say, you know what, people are going to come to us and rely on us on our interpretations to live their lives. And so they used the scriptures to acquire power. And then when someone who actually has more power than them came, they were like, mm -mm, we can't do this. We can't tolerate that because then the status quo is going to change. And people are going to believe that we weren't always telling the truth and we're going to lose all the influence that we have. We need to kill him. Kill who? Jesus, our Lord and personal Savior. 
That is some scary stuff, guys. The Sadducees were pragmatic. They weren't concerned with the Messiah. They wanted to maintain their status. They opposed the Pharisees on some things, but their main contention was that their law was there to be followed. I mean, they were even worse than Pharisees in that they didn't even consider the words of the prophets. They just wanted to listen to what Moses said, the Mosaic laws, and live by that and that alone. They believed in the power of God, but they underestimated it. They were very critical of Jesus. They were rude to people who they who disagreed with them. And they they weren't respected by people for some of those reasons. Because they were too focused on the ability of the Lord to give them power that they didn't realize the ability of the Lord to overpower them. They didn't look at the power of the Lord and how it could make them lose sight of what they were actually supposed to do. And that's why they conflicted with Jesus. Because Jesus, he didn't care about the law as much as he cared about the people. And that's why he hung out with people who were seen to be outcasts. This is why he would touch people with leprosy. Because he wanted people to understand the meaning of the law and not the other way around. They wanted people to follow the law word for word. And Jesus wanted people to turn to him and to God. And so they killed him. Can you believe so I guess the significance of this podcast is to to shed light on the purpose and the significance of the law and that it's not the the be-all and end-all of religion. Religion on its own is what we should aim to achieve or it's what we should find refuge in. The law is what helps us and guides us to maintain the principles of our religion. And that's what I learned from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are a reflection of what you should not want to be. They are a reflection of what you should not do. You shouldn't lose sight of what's right in front of you. You shouldn't forget what's important. And you certainly, certainly should not disregard the people around you in the aim of being legalistic because you can try your best to follow the letter of the law but without actually fulfilling the purpose of the law all you're doing is judging people in actual fact because then the people who aren't doing what you're doing look very wrong to you and you're not going to have anything positive to say with people to and you're not going to have anything positive to say about people because they're definitely not living the life that you expect them to be living and that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. So don't be too legalistic, guys. Listen to Jesus, follow Jesus, pray to Jesus, worship him, and hope that he speaks to you. And don't focus too much on what's written. Focus more on what's in front of you. It is uncomfortable to hear that God detests our worship, but that is what the 8th century BC prophets Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah believed. The Lord was telling his people, and Isaiah believed the Lord was telling his people. Each prophet had had his own way 
of saying, in effect, change the way you're living from Monday to Saturday or don't bother coming to church on Sunday. Isaiah didn't hesitate to denounce a ritual he considered insincere to the point of total hypocrisy. Form of religion at its most blatant, an empty performance lacking integrity or passion. Formal religion at its most blatant, an empty performance lacking integrity or passion. Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. I want no more of your pious meetings. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. This is a new perspective on worship. The issue is not our order of service on Sunday. It's the way we live through the week. Isaiah demands a transparent consistency between daily life and public worship, not as the hobby horse of one person, but as the outspoken conviction about God by the entire community, repeated with equal vigor by the 6th, by the 6th century BC. This was also Jesus' desire. I'd like to acknowledge my little brother who gave you the definitions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees <laughs> and my Bibles, which are my biggest flicks, for all the insight that they gave me. A lot of the things that I said are not from my own brain and the number of websites that I used for the research because I'm not a plagiarizer. So that's just me saying, you know, some of the stuff is not coming from my head. <laughs> Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, so I'm going to give you some nice songs to listen to. Fresh Wind, King of Kings, that's the power for God so loved and never walk alone. These are all songs by Hillsong Worship. And my favorite line in Never Walk Alone goes, every prayer I pray is on an empty grave. Can you believe it? The Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection. Oh yeah. The Pharisees did believe in resurrection. They just didn't believe Jesus would be the one to do it. Well, would you look at that? <laughs> the verse that I will give you comes from Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So now the question I want to leave you with is, which reality? to leave you with is focus on the tangible limits your concept of God lose control thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoyed this rather long podcast I can't wait for you to hear what's in store for you next week have a good week bye